The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I am Emily Swallow, also known as the Armorer on The Mandalorian. And I'm just giving a little shout out to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast because this is the way. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 150. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hi, I'm Robert King, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books to TV shows and more, we're looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. Today, we're talking about The Bad Batch, Episode 10 of Season 2. Joining me today on the panel are Joshua Beely and Catherine Laffrey. Welcome back, Josh. I'm happy to be here. And good to talk to you again as well, Catherine. Hello, good to be here. Right on. So this episode is titled Retrieval, and it picks up pretty much exactly where the last one left off. Our heroes are trapped on this red rock planet full of Ipsium mines. Their ship has been stolen, their resources are almost gone, and Sid has refused to give them any kind of help. They're trying to fix a speeder to get to an actual settlement when Omega has the idea to track not their ship, but Gonki, their power droid. This leads them to a massive Ipsium mine where their ship has been stolen too. Um, a local boss named Mako has pressed a bunch of children into laboring for him in the mines. And the kid who stole their ship is among them, a boy named Benny. Benny defends Mako, who gives them work and keeps the mine in business, despite degraded Ipsium. But the Batch force Benny to take them to their ship, the Marauder, and to help them lower the shield so they can escape. While they are doing this in the control center, Omega makes a discovery that, surprise, the Ipsium isn't degraded after all, and Mako has just been keeping all the profit for himself. It's a little too late, because the Batch get caught, and Mako leads his droids and miners to capture them, and, and uh, holds Omega hostage to get all the others to stand down. But Benny thinks about the way that the Batch treats each other, and the way Mako has been treating him and the other miners, and decides to reveal Mako's betrayal to everyone else. They turn on Mako, and they um, take the mine together and let the Batch head out on their merry way. It's, uh, it's an exciting episode. There's a lot going on in it. Um, but kind of the first thing that struck me about it was how different in tone it was from the previous episode 
and how how much it kind of uh, shattered my expectations. I was kind of expecting like a two part episode that would would really fit together tonally and plot wise and such. And it didn't strike me that way. Um, How about you guys? How did it how did it play with your expectations? I don't know what I was expecting going into it, but for being a more action related episode, it didn't really like just hit me very well. Like I didn't really see the action as interesting, which is really weird because it was just like, usually whenever I see action, I'm like, yeah, fighting, you know, explosions. (laughs) But I don't know. There was just like some key part of it missing for me. I don't know if it was just like a main centralized piece and that sort of may come from the disconnect from the episode before it felt like a standalone episode compared to last time where it's just like yeah they're on another adventure and now they have to get their stuff back and then it didn't really advance anything in my mind either yeah i mean in in terms of action there there wasn't a lot of of actual fighting it it felt maybe more like a heist mm-hmm. where there you know there was a lot of planning and scheming and sneaking around but but not a lot of yeah, like you say, explosions or <laughs> or uh, and definitely not a lot of blaster fire. Um, yes, well, not an ellipsium mine. No, <laughs> no, that would be a mistake. To shock you both, I felt like this is exactly what I was expecting, and that it followed along perfectly with the episode before. <laughs> really? Yes, it felt like just a good continuation. Um, the rhythm of the music led right into it. The views that we were seeing of these towns, um, half empty and derelict, and you know that working mine community kind of scene that we've seen in a couple of different Star Wars shows and episodes. But just the continuation of them trying to rebuild their family unit without having Echo watching Omega now mimicking tech for the for the first portion of this in a way that she had never mimicked him before. And I think that was based on the trust that she received from him in working with the tools and that you trust me and I know you can do this. So there was this whole new thing where she was the one using tech's analytic device more than tech was this time. That's true. She was carrying it around. So there was a whole different dynamic there between her and Tack. And um, you still have Wrecker being the immature one. I'm hungry. (laughs) Is this done yet? This is a piece of junk. You know, he's like the classic (laughs) little kid. The only thing I forgot to do was check to see their seating order when they finally got that land speeder together. That was interesting to see um, what order they were sitting in. The only thing I picked up on was that. Hunter was sitting at the back, so he had the rear guard. He had the they're protecting their six, so to speak, and um, everybody else just kind of piled on after that. But no, I really felt like this had a good. I would rather watch it as all one episode than divided in half like it was. And for me, I mean, having Benny be just Benny, a new character, I was totally fine with because. He's foreshadowing what we all wanted. He's the right age, the right size, the right coloring to have been Boba Fett, but he's not. So it's like one of those like teasers. It's like, oh, it could have been Boba Fett. And not only that, but he had the same sort of attitude. 
he's working for a, a crime boss essentially and mm-hmm. stealing stuff, which is exactly what we saw Boba Fett doing. So you kind of get to see a little teaser of that play between Omega and Boba Fett that we could hopefully see sometime in the future. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things that, that we talked a lot about um, on the last episode was, you know, who is this thief going to be? And and actually, I don't think any of us on that episode came up with Boba Fett as a possibility. We didn't. Um, yeah. That was, that was the first thing I thought of the build. The fact that we saw his hands, it was like, yeah, this definitely looked like yeah. little humanoid hands. And I don't see like Boba Fett as someone staying low to a single planet, though. He was very much at a larger level of bounty hunting, working with people like Cad Bane, mm-hmm. um, Ventress, and sort of like the entire Republic and Separatist legions. Um, he was, he, I don't think he'd be worried about some dying Ipsium mine that was owned by the Techno Union. He'd be following whatever's in the greatest interest. Yeah, but there's a lot you can do with that stuff. And we didn't know some dying mine. Well, it's not really a dying mine. And from what we saw, there's a lot of opportunities available there. Not only that, but we saw, um, you know, Boba Fett's other cohorts earlier on in season one. And Boba Fett wasn't anywhere with them. He's off on his own. So you never know when he's in and out of good times. And he's still only 13 years old. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm, in the previous episode, I, I hadn't expected that the thief was necessarily, you know, protecting the Ipsium. I was thinking, oh, maybe this is someone who's been tracking the Bad Batch. Um, and that would fit in very well with Boba Fett. But I think it's my turn to shock everybody that Boba Fett is just not an interesting character to me and never really has been was kind of semi-interesting in in Empire Strikes Back. And, like, I don't know, apart from looking cool, I was not... I never wanted to know anything more about Boba Fett. And when he showed up in The Mandalorian and then got his own show, I was like, this is just... I I thought he was the worst part of it. (laughs) So, I expect... Many, many people disagree with me on that, but, uh, you know, we're all entitled to our bad taste, um, <laughs> me included. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting because I, to me, it felt like the music actually changed significantly. Like the music at the beginning of the episode had a little bit of that, that Western guitar in there, but it seemed to i didn't notice it at all in the rest of the episode and um only when they showed outside scenes did that hmm. western sound come back as soon as they went inside it changed to the different tones yeah kind of feel like you're down underground yeah and and i guess i took that as a cue of oh the whole episode just has a different tone to it and come on the bad guy looks like an armadillo gone wrong (laughs) (laughs) i mean you look at mako space i was like this is like evil cyborg armadillo so it still kept the western feel for me (laughs) okay well that is cool and and that probably made it a much more satisfying episode for you than than for um than for you josh i mean you, you you sounded like you're 
Like it just wasn't doing anything for you at all. I I just felt like there was some piece missing to it that didn't just sit with me. It felt like a little bit like some of the Clone Wars episodes where it's just kind of like there's a little bit of action, but there's no real progression of the plot, sort of like the early seasons of the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. And I feel that's something that this entire season's been lacking is like a centralized plot to see throughout it. Like, they've sort of hinted at a couple of different things, like right now with Sid starting a betrayal or like the clones phasing out, but they haven't stuck with anything, mm-hmm. which makes each episode kind of feel out of place because there's a lot of different things going on right now that they can't focus in on, but then they should like focus on something else, like the character development or something like that. And it just seems like that's missing as well. Like the only sort of character development I got out of this episode was Tech calling uh, the gonk droid gonky or something along those lines. It's just kind of like giving a droid a little bit more personality to sort of show that like he has some sort of sentimental feeling towards things. I thought I thought Tech's speech at the very end in that last scene was was a sign of his growth as well. Um, you know he. You know, Omega is 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 complaining that it's like, ah, the Empire isn't the only threat out there. There are so many people like Mako who are just making life difficult in the galaxy. And Tech actually says something that is effectively comforting. Like it's it actually works. Um, and he's you know he says there are also many like us, and that's something. That was probably the strongest A-team moment that Bad Batch has had since it started. <laughs> and that was the yeah. whole, like, sort of vision behind this was A-team in Star Wars. Yeah. Josh, you know what the A-team is? Yes, the I original do. original A-team? Uh, okay, I'm just making sure. very much. <laughs> but even then, it's something that's... I love it when a podcast comes together. <laughs> <laughs> I got all kinds of old school references throughout this one that I saw. Well, they'll be the old school for Josh, maybe. For me, they were like a mom remembering watching cartoons with their kid. Uh, so. so so what other references were, were jumping out at you, Catherine? Um, right away, as soon as I saw the other boys in the mine, there were there was one scene when Maka was bringing out the uh, bowl of soup for the winner. And mm-hmm. uh, they pan across the boys, and you see two of them wearing their helmets with a single um, headlight, both wearing goggles and one had a mask on. Um, That would be the Digger twins from the cartoon Recess. Okay. Do you guys know who they are? That is Uh, not familiar to me. Oh, and right away I called my daughter. I was like, did you watch it yet? The Digger twins are in it. And she just started laughing because Recess (laughs) was her all-time favorite cartoon growing up. This was like... We always laugh about the heyday of Disney cartoons was when they were younger, like early uh, 2000s. You had some great shows and Recess was one of them. And they had Mm. the Digger Twins. And I'll make sure I'll post pictures on our uh, Discord community of the Digger Twins in the comparison shot. And then there was one other character in there 
that's a Dave Filoni character. And right next to the Digger twins was um, Sokka from Avatar. Oh. He was had the same hairdo, dressed just like him. I was like, oh my gosh, that's Sokka. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and look at that. I'm a huge yeah. uh, Last Airbender fan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was wild. Kind of, kind of fun to see little connections like that in there. And then, of course, the A-Team connection. I couldn't couldn't miss that i mean that's awesome yeah kind of what the bad batch is all about yeah yeah but it was just like it was really like they were saying and doing things exactly like the a-team did so it was pretty cool i mean i don't i don't remember b.a baracus ever quite complaining so much about like i'm tired (laughs) i'm hungry (laughs) oh i'm sure he did (laughs) (laughs) just give me some milk um (laughs) Oh, yeah. oh man but uh yeah i see i'm listening to the both of you and i'm i'm thinking i wonder if if like the things that are making it work for you Catherine, or are like the same things that are kind of making it not work for you josh like the the episode seems to be focusing on a lot of familiar tropes and a lot of like like the plot was very predictable from beginning to end. Like there was not a single beat that surprised me. Mm-hmm. You know, the only, the only really surprising things were a couple of the lines of dialogue that like, as you say, maybe brought out more of the character or a slightly different side of the character than I expected. Um, but yeah. So on the one hand that can feel very, you know, comforting and, 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 um, like, yes, this is what I expected and wanted. And, and, and that's, that's a good thing. But if you're not looking for that kind of, I don't know, comfort, it might feel like this episode isn't really doing anything. There's nothing new in it. It's not moving anywhere. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of retreading old ground. Is it, am am I kind of, I don't yeah. know. This this is my theory about how we can have like such radically oh, different yeah. takes on this episode. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. mean, if one if one food is a comfort food for some one person, it might be like the worst thing ever you can mention to them. I mean, mm-hmm. you got some people that are like, "Oh, oatmeal's the best comfort food," and others are like, "I'm gonna like lose it all over the place if I put a bowl of oatmeal in front of me." So <laughs> you yeah, just yeah. never know. This was like a, a comfort food show today or this time around. It was just, it was there. It was cute. It was, you know, like watching Indiana Jones, Temple of Dune meets Oliver Twist meets the A-Team. And then you throw in like little character cameos from, you know, some favorite cartoons. So it was just kind of just a big pile of comfort food. I don't know. Maybe Josh, you like spicier foods probably. I do. I do. <laughs> See, there you go. Um. Yeah, it definitely felt really predictable too, which I don't like. Because it's like, okay, they lost their ship, they're gonna get it back. All right, he's gonna betray them, called that, and then mm-hmm. he's gonna die in the end, and they're all gonna be happy. It it just seemed too predictable and lacking of just any sort of change. It like yeah, like people like their comfort food, but it's also just like that's not something I want to see often. Like every now and then it's like, okay, yeah, I'll go back and watch an episode for the comfort. But like, 
If I'm seeing something new, I don't want to see old things revisited in it. Yeah, that's just watch, me. <laughs> that's all right. No, it was kind of funny because you watch you watch Mako like scarfing down the food in the most disgusting, oh gosh, yes. hideous way possible, and then the show ends with there it is, the ultimate Star Wars comfort fruit. <laughs> you got the mm. nice uh, uh, Mailuron fruit in uh, yeah. Benny's hand, so it's like, yeah, it's all about feel good endings and. Well, and, and even right. Mako dies in kind of the ultimate Star Wars way of falling into <laughs> into flaming lava <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, okay, that falls got to end, right? You know, you hit the yeah. lava, you're done. <laughs> yeah, but we can we can cut away from it because you know this is a kids show. <laughs> I did think Mako's character, like his physical build, was very interesting, though. Because being on a former techno union planet, he had his cybernetic arm. But mm -hmm. then, whenever you were looking back at like episode two of Attack of the Clones, it was like a full metal gear kind of thing where he was fully cybernetic and this guy was sort of starting. And I just thought that was really interesting to see sort of him going on the way to being fully cybernetic it looked like but also still being like a man and full of gluttony and those aspects of of life yeah i very much got the impression that he was like a low level guy who when when everything changed and the empire took over and the 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 techno union collapsed he just saw an opportunity and grabbed it and mm -hmm. but he he was he never had like significantly higher status or ambitions himself um yeah they never really said but he almost seemed like he was local to the planet and the mm -hmm. techno union was there so his cybernetics were you know Probably a from gift them. from them i'm sure he was at one point in time working the mines himself but like you said took over we never did really hear what happened to these the parents of these children. It's children of the corn. <laughs> yeah, like, what's going on? Where's their parents? Yeah. So. Yeah. Where, how, how did he get all of this child labor and what's, although he, he seemed perfectly willing to put the bad batch in along with them as, as part of the labor force when, when, when he was holding Omega hostage and threatening them. I loved how Wrecker got to prove we never miss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but also the one in their group who never misses a shot was Crosshair, and he hasn't been seen in a while. Right. Yeah, yeah. I I am... I I think at this point I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Josh's uh, appraisal. Um partly because I think I had some very definite expectations set up from the previous episode and, and I just was kind of thrown for a loop, but also because, yeah, I, I think I am more invested in like the big picture story arc than I am in the, you know, the fun adventure of the week, uh, kind of episode. And we're not getting a lot of that this season. Um, I think I think they're trying to do character development in each episode. They're kind of, you know, focusing on 
different characters, you know, especially Tech. Um, Tech has gotten several episodes this season and, and his characters really being filled out. Um, but, but we've only seen Crosshair in that one standalone episode. And I really want to see kind of the, the connection between, you know, where, where does Crosshair fit in the Bad Batch? And is there going to be reconciliation or, or resolution of any kind? Um, and, and how are the batch going to connect with sort of the rest of what's going on in this, in this, you know, early stage of the empire? Um, yeah, there was one visual in there that made me really miss Crosshair. And it was at the bottom of that uh, chimney vent. Mm. the floor of it looked like crosshairs mark over his eye. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't catch it till the that second time vent. I watched yeah. it. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, where's crosshair. <laughs> it's like, you miss seeing him. It's like, we got to know what's going on. Yeah. If they had him, he would have picked off the droid from the top of the chimney and no problem. So <laughs> one of the things that I really was interested in and, and this is, I was I was telling you a little bit about this before we started recording, but um, I was just really struck by especially Benny's rhetoric about, you know, well, Mako, Mako gives us work. He keeps us working. He's keeping us in business. And that sense of sort of him and, and all the others kind of being gaslit by Mako about um their their status as as employees and 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 how it's their their enforced labor is kind of seen by them as a um as their reward um and it it really called to mind for me um an aspect of of Catholic social teaching that is near and dear to my heart. And that is the, the teaching on the dignity of the worker. Um, and, and especially as it was brought out, uh, by, uh, Pope St. John Paul II. Um, and I, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys are Catholic social teaching geeks like I am, but, <laughs> but that whole theme of sort of Omega trying to offer, an alternative and Benny just continually turning it down. It's like, but, but I've got job security here as, as if his entire identity was wrapped up in his work. When like the key thrust of, of Catholic teaching is, you know, the person is more important than the thing. Um, and that labor work is dignified because it is done by people. People are not, you know, work gains its value from the people who do it, not people gaining value from whatever they can produce or their, their usefulness or, or productivity. Um, and it, and it seemed like this episode was kind of reaching toward that direction, but it didn't, it didn't really have like an anchor um to hold on to um so i'm i 
I'm going to get off my soapbox about that, <laughs> but but I'm I'm just curious if you had thoughts about um like just the whole moral setup that that this episode dealt with. Yeah, it made me think about um not so much the worker, but um children in an abusive situation. Yeah, sure. Because some of them don't know anything outside of the situation they're in. And they see the little bit of, yeah, if you could call it gratitude from Mako, letting you have the last sip of his water bottle as caring for them and not knowing anything else. Like Benny said, I don't know anything else. This is home. So it is hard to get children out of that situation and see that they deserve to be treated better. And so that's why I think they did such a good job capturing Benny's confusion at Mako's death. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to rescue him because this is the person that's always provided for him. So there's that kind of attachment to this like father figure ish. And at the same time, he's trying to pull Benny down to kill him. And, you know, even after that, as he's falling to his death, you could see the confusion and chaos going through Benny's face of what do I do now? Who's going to take care of me? So that's that's what I saw with that. It does tie in with the worker and taking care of them. My only other thing was uh, Drake seemed to be being fed the most. I started mm-hmm. going, he's getting to be about the size of Mako. I'm guessing that's when, you know, those kids disappear down into the mine <laughs> instead of being mm-hmm. part of the, the in crowd with Mako. Because, you know, he's getting big enough that he could take over if he wanted to. It was definitely interesting, especially like the inner circle of like the higher up workers of them eventually falling back down so that way Mako could stay in power. Yeah, I noticed that the the inner circle does more stealing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I I was just noting that you had you had uh, mentioned Oliver Twist earlier, and that you know the whole Dickensian kind of atmosphere of of yeah, treating those kids so so badly and and making them feel grateful for being treated badly. That's why it was neat to see in all of that. There's Omega with her last ration bar. And having such faith in knowing that her team is going to get out of this, that she hands it to him, even though he had stole their ship, had, you know, given them a run around and bring them to a ship that's in pieces, that she's still willing to forgive him, give him her last meal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you could see the guilt conflict start happening in him going, wait, you're just giving me f- Food, I didn't do anything, and if anything, you should be taking food away from me. I I took your ship. It was kind of like you could almost see that in the back of his head. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just appreciated that. You know, seeing her as the flip side. She's always, you know, that's why it's funny for me to, in the hope of seeing Boba Fett with Omega, is just so that I could see the Alpha and the Omega together to see that contrast. And Benny, to me, played out that little bit of contrast you know the thief with the the kid who's trying to do everything right they're kind of that that opposite of each other and yet from the same 
beginning. I really did love the the kind of chemistry between Omega and Benny. And it, uh, again, you know, an earlier episode, um, the um, oh, and now I'm blanking on his name. The the Jedi Wookie, um, Gunji, Gunji. Thank you. Um, the di- the dynamic between Omega and Gunji as well. That that Omega's ability to just connect with whoever it is that that needs help in in the episode and and like the way she does kind of stand as the uh the moral center of the show in so many ways and uh, i also sometimes see omega as almost too caring and too perfect in a world that's not kind at all mm-hmm. where she's taking advantage of she's going to lose out on things and I see it almost as too kind to a fault. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where the rest of her squad comes in and has to sort of help her out of things. Because, yes, her compassion towards, um, what's his name, Draco or something like that, was kind and sincere and all and everything. But he is at the end of the day still going to do what he needed to to succeed and to survive he mm-hmm. is in a different state than omega and from that he needs he only thinks about like his next meal basically and as soon as drake or Mo- Mo- is it benny Mo- you're, you're thinking yeah of? benny sorry yeah, yeah. i don't know why my mind was on drake <laughs> um <laughs> As soon as his father figure shows up, he's going to just switch back to him because that's all that matters is where his next meal is. Their their state of survival trumps kindness and compassion. But at the same time, Benny held on to the information he got Uh from Omega. And he was willing to, there was that little, her kindness created the crack in his in his world to open him up to the truth. I think he even says, thank you for showing me the truth. Partially. Something like that, yeah. But but what truth did she show him? Mm-hmm. I mean, she showed then him that... that Marco was abusing Marco them. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't necessarily change what Josh was saying. You know, he, he may still be looking for, well, where's my next meal? And I'm, I've got a better chance as a better meal... If I kick Mako out, because well, he's, he's now yeah. Mako's gone, where are they going to get their next meal? There's a lot of people in that mind that probably have been in there the past three or four years or however long it's been right in there. And this is like all they've known. Where what are they going to do? Where are they going to go? They don't know anything besides the mine and trying to fight to get it. Yeah, well, at least now they have Mako's storehouse of food that they can share with each other. They did talk about that, you know, ended it with its meal time. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, they're so going to share their, share the profits equally, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I kind of get this kind of like an A team episode, um, like the it doesn't really want us to think too deeply about 
like all the practical implications of what's going on here. It was setting up this really clear moral good, moral evil, you know, or at least moral evil that we wanted to fight against. And Omega is, is kind of holding out something that's, that's opposed to that. But you're right, Josh, she, she gets the batch in trouble (laughs) a lot. (laughs) And, um, you know, and they, they, you know, half the shows are half the episodes are about, you know, getting out of, some trouble that Omega got them into or Omega wants them to save someone who's in trouble. <laughs> yeah. 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 And here it just kind of nicely coincides that the people that Omega wants them to help are the same people who have their ship and, and the way off the planet. So, you know, that's helpful. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's not a choice of, well, should we do this mission or should we, you know, run away and do something else. Um, it's well, we've got to do this mission and it's, it's good that we can help those who need help. They had a good visual to show the good that was done instantly. As they panned away from that mining community, there were more lights on and uh, then around uh-huh. the town, around the mining shaft. And all of a sudden it had, so there was like that spark of light. Yeah. So life returning to this dead planet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see what's going to happen next. The one thing I do miss is Hunter being Hunter. We don't, we don't see much of him using his skills like we did early on in the first season, you know, where he can like tell something's approaching and, you know, all his tracking skills. It seems like all that's kind of just kind of background noise right now. It seems like he's more so been trying to be a leader mm-hmm. and keep the group intact because the recent thing has obviously been losing Echo and feeling like it's not a family anymore because I lost someone in it. And sort of just trying to keep everyone happy together is his goal right now. I don't think his skills matter because also we haven't seen Wrecker, you know, like throwing a ship or something like that. So, <laughs> it's I've been seen a while him use that. his own body to cover a container of explosives, though. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I think we're seeing a different side of Hunter rather than his, uh, his heightened senses. He's using his leadership skills to be able to keep everyone together and make yeah. sure everyone's okay. Mm. Seems to mellow out. It's it's a this is one of the things that I think really has continued strongly from the previous episode, but it's also kind of been a theme of the whole second season is the bad batch feels like they're in survival mode. Like, and, and, you know, season one, they were in survival mode cause they were running and escaping and trying to figure out where they could land. And, but uh, season two, it feels like, it feels like they're in a different kind of survival mode. Like they're trying to figure out where they, where they can live. Um, You know, they're, they're not, they're not entirely happy with Sid, but she's providing them a home or a home base at least. For now. For now. (laughs) 
and and we can see i mean uh, there there are kind of these parallels you we might look at between like how sid is treating the batch and how mako is treating the workers and you know sid's not as extreme but she's well she's maybe more extreme in her manipulation um if she's not more extreme in in like the i don't know the violence of her tactics <laughs> mm-hmm. well, it doesn't even have to be violence it's neglecting i guess for yeah. Sid, seeing them as still an expendable part of her operations it's yeah. convenient for her to have them do everything, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to mean that she has to care for them if they're going to do it all. And yeah, I think she's the not neglection, the one who lost their ship. <laughs> yeah, the neglection's a different form of of like abuse rather than you know being the powerhouse like Mako is, mm-hmm. where he's very much a I'm in charge here. I what I say goes. Sid is more so you can do this or I can find someone else to do it. And it makes them have to feel like they need to do it to still keep their worth with Sid. Yeah. Yeah. She's a good manipulator. Yeah. Manipulation is definitely one of the, the big, big themes, I guess, of this episode. Um, Yeah. Like the, the various levels of, of, uh, how did how did tech put it um said uh something about using it seems that um mako uses his his uh power and um what was it power and resources to uh his power and means as a le- as leverage over his workers it is a similar tactic to that used by the empire although on a smaller scale and and it's like yeah the this you know power and means as leverage over those who do not have power and means and um and where do the batch fall into this i mean i mean the way they strong arm benny into helping them um at first they're not really, you know, being very respectful toward Benny. And Omega comes to trust him, but but I don't know if, if the rest of them ever do. Wrecker stiff-arming him off of the uh, speeder. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's like, okay, we've got your attention now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, okay, talk about action. Yeah. That genuinely was a great little action sequence, though. You know, yeah. what was it? Hunter and Tech come in and and confront Benny. Benny tries to run and and gets knocked off by Wrecker and scrambles to to escape Wrecker, only to to run into Omega's bow. And uh, yeah, that it was it was short, but I I really enjoyed the the choreography of it and the. Yeah, that one yeah. was done really well. Oh, for not having action, they can build tension pretty well. Yeah, I liked uh, Omega's free dive off of the uh, scaffolding there with the robot. That that was another great character moment because you saw her lock eyes with Hunter. And, you know, that was all she needed. It's like, okay... I'm just going to I'm just going to throw myself out there and trust that Hunter is going to take care of me. 
And yeah. and I thought that was again a beautiful piece of of Omega's faithfulness and 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 trust in in her family. That's like the the best side of Omega's optimism. It's like she just knows it's going to work out. It might be messy, yeah. but it's going to work out. Yeah. I I still see that as a blessing and a curse for her to be like overly trusting, overly caring. Because Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But, I was yeah. also thinking I'm like what if he just missed and, and just didn't catch her? <laughs> like it was entirely cynical in my mind to think that, but it was just like there's the, what if what if he didn't, you know? Mm-hmm. I I I don't like how things have fit together so easily for them. It seems like oh they lost it. Oh well, we're gonna track it. We got it back next episode. No issues there. Mm-hmm. It's just like oh Omega got caught. We're gonna catch her from her falling off with a droid. I still thought it was funny also watching the robot lose its balance and it was like starting <laughs> to try and get it and then it's just like nope I'm gonna slowly tumble over. Yeah. yeah. I also I I like the droids and how they looked. You know, we've seen a lot of them and the different sort of they able to they're able to make them still look different yet personable. Like having those like I guess protocol droid looking ones where they're bipedal, bipedal um mm-hmm. humanoid looking and they all still seem so unique and to have their own different traits. I liked I liked the imaging and the images and cinematography and just the overall landscape of things, but it was just those convenience things. I, I mean, I it, it would feel I would feel a lot better about the convenience of things if they felt like more connected to a stronger plot line. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I mean, Omega um, is the plot, so <laughs> it seems like more and more. I, I she's want her also... to be the plot anyway. Um, I do too, and I I'd love to see more of what she has to offer. Obviously, she's a just a generic, unaltered clone, which was discussed in season one. But I still want to see something of her that sets her apart and defines her better and yeah maybe that compassion and that trusting and the faith that she has in other people wait josh you said she's unaltered yes she is an unaltered genetic clone she is she can't be unaltered because she's a she so there's a little bit something different in in her (laughs) there's season one on camino they said that omega was the other unaltered genetic makeup of Django Fett. Boba Fett's codename was Alpha, so he was plan A, they use him. Omega, Omega, the end, the last resort, if they don't have anything else. It makes sense then that she would be unaltered as well, because first plan A, plan B basically, and plan B is the last plan. It was it was said in season one that she is the unaltered, though. Yeah, the that word was used but Catherine, you're right. It's if if she was absolutely unaltered, mm-hmm. then you would think she would be male, um, like Boba, mm-hmm. um, like 
like all of the the soldier clones. Um, yeah, we know there's something a little bit different about her. Yeah, <laughs> I not just because of her uh, gender, but because because of her compassion and and because of that feeling of kind of purpose about her and, and well and and um the the value that she has for uh for the Kaminoans and and their their genetic program um i i have it would not surprise me if if uh that unaltered turned out to be um let's say something that we could view from a different point of view. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. From a certain Um, point of view. Also known as a lie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, she is a lot like the leader of the Mandalorians. What was her name? Who, uh, she, Duchess Satine. Yes. Yeah. She's very much like the Duchess. You know, if you think about Jango Fett as being more of the warrior, you know, Mandalorian, Satine mm-hmm. is more of the compassionate Mandalorian. And so you can kind of see that reflected in both Boba and Omega that way. I just thought of that now. So who knows? It could be completely wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Every it was the blonde hair. I don't somewhere. know why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, if she was unaltered, her hair would probably be dark. Um, her <laughs> coloration would be different. She does have an extremely strong Kiwi accent, though, so that that <laughs> that trumps everything else. So, any other thoughts about this episode? I think the ending set it up really nicely to either become the Bad Batch working on saving those smaller groups, so things like the Makos of the world or to join together with other small groups to fight a larger front because of text speech at the end. I Mm, feel like mm -hmm. it could go either way with that. And either one of those, I feel like it'd be okay to see. And I think it sort of ended and summed up the empire here very nicely. Yeah, it definitely felt like like they found purpose. Although I must say, after listening to you guys talk about, you know, the plot line and all that other stuff, it feels like a really big puzzle that we have a few pieces of that are put together really nicely, but not the whole image and we don't have the picture to work from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like they're dangling pieces, you know, the the things that, I'm thinking of anyway is the overarching plot line. You know, they they give us information about where Crosshair is and they give us, you know, they keep uh reminding us of how unique Omega is and um but yeah, it doesn't feel like that's mm, it doesn't feel like they're they're or or rather it feels like they're just dangling those things for now. And, and I don't know, maybe they're planning to really bring it out more in season three or something, or, or in a few episodes at the end of season two. I don't know. 
Um, but I, I kind of wish there was more attention paid to those, um, kind of more consistently. Well, I hope for Josh, he gets a big epic action scene. <laughs> Hopefully soon. <laughs> I well, mean, the Mandalorian yeah. is next week, so. We're going to get lots that. of action. <laughs> yeah, we should get. Yeah, so, so you know, not to, not to anticipate things too much, but uh, next week we're going to shift gears and start talking about the Mandalorian. Um, the Bad Batch is going to continue um in uh, you know on disney plus so but we'll get back to talking about the bad batch after we've gone through the mandalorian but here we are just before the mandalorian season three drops do either of you have any thoughts expectations predictions about season three of the mandalorian just so we can put you on record and and (laughs) and laugh laugh at us all for being wrong later I want Bo-Katan as the main antagonist of trying to regain the throne through the Dark Saber. That's my prediction. That's what I want to see. I want to see the development of the Mandalorians as a whole and bringing them back together as well as Satine being a, I guess, non-member of the Watch. So the Watch of the people on the moon. And then she wasn't. Mm -hmm. She was with Satine and I don't know. I want I want to see or Bo-Katan as the main enemy and villain of the series. That's interesting. You want to see her as a villain. I just want to see them all like resolve it somehow. Get the glory of Mandalore back. For for resolve, there needs to be a conflict. So. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's gonna be a fight somehow, somewhere over the dark saber. Well, there has to be. That's the only way it can change hands, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, and action. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean Din Jaren tried to give it to her, and and yeah, you know, unlike in Rebels, she didn't take it. Yeah. Um, but, she learned her uh, lesson. <laughs> she did. Um, but I this I I think I've mentioned this theory before. I I think it would be amazing to see. Grogu be the one who finally wields the dark saber and unites Mandalore <laughs> together. Um sort of returning the the dark saber to you know the the Mandalorian who is also a Jedi. Um and uh and a 50-year-old toddler. <laughs> and a 50-year-old toddler to boot because why the heck not? Yeah. <laughs> um so I have no idea if that's I, I I just thought, would find that very personally satisfying. Um, that I I think that like in my mind it's the the title of the show is the Mandalorian and who is the the true Mandalorian? It's not Din Djarin, who we've been assuming all along. It's <laughs> Grogu. Um, but are we gonna get a little helmet with his ears sticking out? <laughs> well, this is this is. This is partly why I developed this theory. It was like, I really want to see him in a helmet. <laughs> That'd be awesome. All right. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I'd like to take a moment at this point to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to have such great conversations and to create the secrets of Star Wars. And this week, we'd like to especially mention Connor B., Jan P, 
Martin O, Kevin F, and Alan E. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue all of our shows at StarQuest, including The Secrets of Star Wars. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. You can also support us and, frankly, just follow along better by subscribing to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or you can follow us on the SQPN YouTube channel. You can find previous episodes of Secrets of Star Wars, and you can also send us feedback at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. You can drop us an email at starwars at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or on Twitter at sqpn or on our Discord uh, server by going to sqpn.com slash discord. As I said, we'll be back next week, but we'll be taking a break from the Bad Batch so that we can talk about the new season of The Mandalorian. Once we've walked through the Mando season three, we'll finish up the Bad Batch. Uh, this is honestly kind of an odd moment. I, I feel a lot of tension in the Bad Batch at the moment, and it feels like a weird moment to leave it. So I'm looking forward to getting back at it. But we can only do one podcast a week, so I blame Disney for pitting two great shows against each other. <laughs> anyway, until next week, Catherine, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Wars. Thank you so much. This was fun. Josh, thank you for all your input as well. It's great to have you on the show. I'm happy to join. And again, I'm Robert King. And thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, Raising the Bets. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S, bets.